Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman, a podcast about books by women, for women and that explore issues that women find interesting, which, fact check, is everything. We are brought to you by Future Women, Bad Producer Productions and of course Hachette Publishing who are making this season of Anonymous Was a Woman possible as well as providing us with some of our absolutely favourite reads. Today, my co-host Astrid Edwards and I are discussing books under the theme of coming of age. Astrid, welcome. What was the book that first made you feel totally grown up? Well, upon reflection before recording this podcast, Jamila, I realised that I read totally inappropriate things as a, what we now call a tween, that word didn't exist back then, and a young teenager. And I often felt incredibly grown up because I was reading adult books at a wildly inappropriate age. You haven't answered the question. What was the book? What were these inappropriate books you were reading? Well, I went through my father's entire collection of Wilbur Smith, which is basically sex and a very poor interpretation of history in South Africa. I was also reading all of Stephen King, including the unedited It, which is like 1400 pages. And it is as far from a good story for a young teenage girl as is possible to get, given what happens to the one and only female character in the entire book. (laughs) But nevertheless, I felt, to answer your question, grown up. I felt responsible. I felt like I knew as much as all of the adults in my life and all of the people, the kids, the teenagers in my life. And it gave me a sense of internal... I don't know. I think I respected myself, if that makes sense. Like, I really thought that I was learning about the world. The fact that I was reading horror and Wilbur Smith is not the point. Yeah, that's an interesting take on the idea of what coming of age literature is. I suppose I look back on my reading at a similar age and I was definitely reading a lot of classics. I loved books like I remember reading Jane Eyre for the first time. I remember reading Pride and Prejudice for the first time. I remember reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles, Emma, The Tenant of Wildfield Hall, all of these books that were perhaps academically difficult for a young kid, but I don't really think about them as coming of age books. I think in my head, the book that I most associate with coming of age is one we've referred to earlier in Anonymous was a woman in previous seasons and that's Looking for Ali Brandy by Melina Marchetta who we have interviewed before on the podcast if you want to scroll back and have a listen and it wasn't that that book was particularly something that stretched me I think when I read it in terms of its plot or the language or even the concepts but it was the first book I read that felt like it could have been about a kid like me, a kid who was growing up between cultures, a kid who didn't always feel like they fitted in at school despite having some really good mates, a kid who was grappling with these really grown-up issues all of a sudden and didn't feel equipped to, issues like sex and attempted suicide and separation of parents. And I remember that book being one I returned to again and again through high school 
as I tried to wrap my head around the fact that this book was both something that could be my reality and sometimes was my reality. That's so interesting, particularly the idea of coming back to books over and over again. The books that we go back to, regardless of what age we are, are the books that have touched something and mean something over and over again to us all. And they do help us understand who we are and what we might be. I did read Looking for Ella Brandy and all of the classics that you just mentioned at school and on my own. But I found it wasn't until I was much older in my 20s that any of them actually had any kind of impact on me. I don't know if that's because I thought I was a little bit immature or if I just was a little bit arrogant and didn't like reading what everybody else did. I liked reading things that no one else had told me about and that I had found in a bookstore or a library by myself. I was an odd kid. I own that completely. I googled coming of age books, not because I don't think I've read any, but because I was interested in the definition of, you know, what is a coming of age book. Interestingly, Stephen King's It was on the list of top 50 international coming of age stories. What makes it a coming of age story? What, I mean, what did you find out? What defines this genre? So mostly it is about kids, young teenagers, older teenagers becoming adults, like those kind of important milestones in your kind of your second decade alive, I guess. And so that's why Stephen King's It is on there because it's a band of kids but also there are more obvious classics like Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird and Salinger's Catcher in a Rye, also kid or young adult protagonists that are doing deep thinking about the world and coming into contact with the adult world. So I think that's coming of age, although I would also argue that coming of age can be for any age and it is when the character or the storyline confronts stuff that that character hasn't actually dealt with before or come into contact before. And it is a growth experience. It is basically growing up regardless of whatever age you happen to be when the book starts. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction to make because a coming of age novel can absolutely be about, you know, the as it tends to romantically be written, the summer before you turn 18 or whatever it might be. But I think more specifically, coming of age can be metaphorical. Coming of age comes about not just because of a date or an important birthday, but because of emotional milestones, you know, whether or not it's your best friend moving away to another place or you moving away to another place or your parents discovering something about you that changes your relationship or your parents splitting up or I don't know, the death of a pet or of a loved one or becoming injured for the first time. There are so many prompts in literature that bring about that coming of age. And I think it can happen much younger than that sort of turning point of adulthood. And it can also happen much older than that turning point of adulthood, as is the case in at least one of the books we are going to discuss today. Astrid, we have got two books on the menu and I'll explain why I'm saying menu a little bit later. My Year Abroad by Chang Ray Lee and Exciting Times by Nisha Dolan. So let's get into it. Astrid, I just made a cheeky reference to menus because My Year Abroad by Chang Ray Lee has a very strong food theme. Have you read this one? So, Jam, I haven't read this work. Can you tell me about Chang Ray Lee 
and why I should have him on my bedside table. So Astrid Chang Rayleigh is a Pulitzer Prize nominated author. He's incredibly well known and renowned and has written a number of books, including Native Speaker, A Gesture Life, Aloft more recently, and the most recent work, which is another novel, is called On Such a Full Sea, which is perhaps the work that Lee is most well known for. My Year Abroad is quite the departure from all of those texts. (laughs) The tone, the language, the backdrop, I would not have known necessarily that this was Chang Rang Lee, except for the many references to food (laughs) within the text. All right, Jam, so I want to know why food, but I feel before I can ask that question, I need to know a little bit more about what actually happens in the novel. And yes, and I have to beg forgiveness before I start, because this is going to be a little bit long, because it's a hard novel to give you the elevator pitch for, because it's quite winding and complex. The narrator is Tilla Bardem, who is a 20-year-old college dropout. He's sort of been on a big overseas adventure and he's been travelling around Asia because he is, and the book makes quite a bit of this, he is 12 and one half percent Asian, so he is one-eighth. And the novel spends a lot of time throwing back to both his travels and his forebears. So we meet Tiller at the start of the book and he's living in a scruffy little town that is called Stagno, as in stagnant. He is with his lover Val, who is described as an older woman, Astrid, because she is in her 30s and I find that offensive. So let us just call her a woman. And he is living with Val and her eight-year-old son, Victor. The big thing you need to know about Val is that she is in witness protection and so is her son because of the not exactly legal business activities of her late husband that led to her late husband's disappearance and presumed death. So while that all sounds very big and grand and crazy and scary and on the edge, it's kind of not because they're in witness protection. They have to keep a really low profile. So there's this quite blinkered life that they live. And actually a lot of the story about Tilla and his partner Val made me think of the pandemic because they're at home and they can't go out much and they can't do a lot. They're housebound for their own protection. And there's a real sort of relatable boredom to their life. Now, this is then all punctuated by the backfilling of Tiller's narrative and how he got to where he is in his early 20s. And he recounts being swept into a scam devised by a Chinese-American businessman named Pong Lu. And if you had a second protagonist in the book, that's Pong Lu. So Pong Lu is this kind of swindling businessman who is trying to sell the gospel of jamu, which is an Indonesian drink that apparently has healing qualities to rich people who do lots of yoga, basically. And Tilla gets swept up in this scam and he becomes part of it. It's got real moments and reminders of sort of, there's a bit of Gwyneth Paltrow goop about the whole thing. So it's an interesting, complex plot. Okay, that is a long and complicated plot. I have to say my ears did prick up when you said relatable boredom, given that, you know, we are in a pandemic and do spend more time at home than perhaps we used to. 
Why does this most intricate plot make you think of coming of age? It's a really good question. So if we go back to our author, Lee's previous narrators tend to be older. I haven't read his other work, but I did a bit of a search and apparently that really suits him. He's good at writing older characters. So this was a bit of a new exploration for him to write this 20-year-old character. My problem was I didn't find Tilla particularly believable as a 20-year-old, certainly as a 20-year-old who was kind of still struggling to find his footing and couldn't figure out who he was. Now, the author's decision to explore a protagonist like that makes a lot of sense because Chang Rei Lee is an academic at Princeton and indeed one of the college towns that he describes Tiller growing up in sounds very much like Princeton (laughs) and that's where some of my family lives so that rung true for me but I suspect the fact that Lee spends his time around a very particular type of early 20 something means that this book gives you a bit of a slightly off perspective of what a 20 year old is and it makes Tiller just a little bit unbelievable having said that I really applaud Lee's choice to go in this direction and to harness the fact that he spends so much time around these young people to kind of bring one of them to life as characters and I found this fascinating quote from him he said I've been teaching for 24 years but the kids I teach never age they are always the same age I'm the one that's ageing. And I just thought, what a fascinating experience to every year meet a fresh set of 20-somethings and yet you yourself have aged more than their lifetime in the period you've been teaching that age group. So the quote made me retrospectively excited, but I still didn't think the character was particularly well done as a young person coming of age in the novel. Okay, so you're still... Are you recommending this book? And I guess that's a different way of saying, did you find Val and Hong Lu believable? Did their storylines capture your attention? Yes. If anything, it felt like a book about Hong Lu. He was the character that I was captured by. He was the one I was most interested in. And I suppose secondary to him, perhaps, was Val's eight-year-old son, Victor Jr. He was also, I felt, particularly well painted. He's this really precocious little young cook. He's the kind of kid you put on Junior MasterChef if it was available to him. And as part of the book, Val and Tilla help Val's son, Victor, open a little pop-up restaurant out of their house. And that is sort of the justification to use food references and food imagery throughout the novel to the point that it's almost overdone. I found that Sometimes the descriptions, you know, there's one here that I wrote down, as distinctive as a honeydew in a bin of honeydews. Like, what? And one bloke who's like a chatterbox and is talking too much is described as going as mum as a cauliflower. I mean, what? All vegetables are silent. They're vegetables. It just felt like the food references went a little bit too far. I think that's what tipped me from interested and excited by the book to feeling like there was a particular kind of imagery and writing that Lee was trying to show off and he almost went too far to the point that the novel became an academic construction rather than a story. Rather than something enjoyable. I am fascinated by your take on this, Jem. Normally, I have to say, you are kinder to books than I am. 
you are a kind person and I feel like maybe you're not being very kind right now. I think that's quite possible. I had a very high bar because I I came into this thinking Pulitzer Prize nominated author, this is going to be really good. So maybe I'm judging it harshly and there were elements of the book that I really did enjoy and I was excited by the exploration of someone who is of Asian descent but to a very limited degree and feels like they've kind of grown up as a white person and don't know how to acknowledge their culture. I found that really interesting. There were elements of the book that I thought were quite beautifully written, but there was stuff that just didn't make sense to me. For example, if you're in witness protection, you can't open up a pop-up restaurant in your house because... I'm pretty sure that's not allowed from every cop show I've ever watched. So it just didn't quite get there for me. Moving on, Astrid, we are going to have some exciting times with exciting times. Tell us about this book. This really is a good book, Jam. I picked it up and I had low expectations. It's not the kind of book that... I normally go to, right? And so I went in thinking, ah, you know, it's probably going to be okay. I have a couple of hours, I can read it. And I didn't want to put it down. This is a very good book. And I feel very happy that I went out of my comfort zone. So Exciting Times by Nisha Dolan is the closest I will ever get to recommending a rom-com. Oh, I was not expecting that. I'm also interested in the idea of books and expectations because I've brought a book I had high expectations of and was left disappointed. You didn't have particularly big expectations of this and you have found a rom-com you love. Astrid, tell us about the plot. Yeah, so I'm almost embarrassed, but also this is a smart rom-com. This is a If this was a movie, it would be, you know, advertised as the thinking woman's rom-com. Essentially, Ava is our protagonist. She is a 20-something-year-old Irish expat who is living in Hong Kong. Now, she moved to Hong Kong from Ireland because the economic situation in Ireland was not great, because she'd, she wasn't very happy in Ireland, and she was kind of looking to grow up, looking to come of age, looking to find some happiness without any actual plan. When she gets to Hong Kong, she meets Julian. Julian is a British expat. He, like all British characters in basically any book or movie we've all ever come across, has kind of no emotions, or if he does have emotions, he's unable to express his emotions. He's very buttoned up British and he's a banker and he's very busy and he he's kind of lonely and he doesn't mind spending money on Ava. So Ava takes the easy way out. She kind of becomes a kept woman. They're not dating. They're not partners, but they are sleeping together and she is living in his very expensive Hong Kong flat. So it's a bit of an odd start. And then he goes back to London for six months. She stays in Hong Kong. She's living in his apartment and she falls in love with Edith, also known as Mei Ling. And Edith is a Hong Kong born lawyer. So we kind of have a love triangle. Okay. All good rom-coms have a love triangle, so I'm delighted by the premise already. You, putting this delicately, are not usually into romances of any kind, even if it is a thinking woman's romance. What makes this particular romance or set of romances believable and authentic and interesting to you? Several reasons. First off, The writing style is witty and sharp and not just about romance and relationships and, you know, what is love, but this is almost contemporary 
satire is kind of too strong, but we're getting close. This is a very harsh analysis of how we all live. This is a witty takedown of everything the British Empire has done to Ireland and to Hong Kong. This is an exploration of class. You know, Ava doesn't have any money. She couldn't really afford to live in Hong Kong unless she lived in someone else's apartment. Uh, And that's because she comes from Ireland and Ireland had an extremely bad time in the GFC and hasn't recovered in the way that some other economies have. So we explore class, including the British class system that they exported around the world. We get to look at the differences between what people in Hong Kong think of mainland China and vice versa. We get even to compare the experience of maybe poor Catholics from Ireland with lower class Hong Kongers who aren't the rich expats. So yes, it's a rom-com, but by the choice of characters, we really get to look at a bunch of stuff that, you know, is happening now. This novel is kind of indeterminate in the time that it's set, but it's definitely after the 2014 umbrella movement in Hong Kong and before Brexit, while Theresa May was still prime minister, but everything looked like it was about to go badly for Britain. So a lot of why you loved the romance was the political and economic climate in which it was set. Uh, no, okay. I explained that badly. So yes, that's why I love this book, but I guess it's because the characters each represent something different. We kind of have rich Brit, poorer Irish girl and very well-educated Hong Konger who is not going to be accepted in the mainland or in London or in Dublin. So you get to look at the different countries, compare their histories and the class structures whilst just following the romance, you know, who's sleeping with who and what they think of introducing someone to their family and how their family will take it and all those kind of things. So it's very personable, but these questions are big, right? Class, status, money, the British Empire is stuffing it up for so many people through a love triangle. It was endorsed by Sally Rooney, I saw on the cover and online there are also a number of comparisons to Sally Rooney's work. Is that a fair comparison? Is it just drawing on that kind of millennial sensibility or is there something more to that comparison? I think it's a fair comparison. I think it's a big comparison that Nisha Dolan may or may not be enjoying when she tries to publish her second book. I think that if we were going to describe it like Sally Rooney, we'd have to say it's like a queer version of Sally Rooney. Mm. Okay. You mentioned Julian Astrid, and this is a podcast for women and about women, but we are very interested in how male characters are drawn. What did you think of him? Unfortunately, he was believable. And I say unfortunately because he can't express himself. He's buttoned up British. He isn't really as honest with himself as one would like anybody to be and he does rely on money and class and external symbols of status to get by but there's also this kind of ongoing presence of men and maleness in the novel now of course Ava does take a female lover Edith but even separate to that choice we get little hints throughout the novel of why she left Ireland or a specific terrible incident that did occur in Ireland. We know that just in one sentence that she did get an abortion. And of course, abortion is illegal in Ireland. So she had to travel to get that abortion. We also hear her remembering how friends used to keep a joint account in case any of them needed to fly somewhere to get an abortion. She talks about males that she can't remember, like the violent Irish male 
maybe doing things and this idea of fleeing to the other side of the world and choosing to be with quite a safe, repressed Brit or a female is a very active choice that she is moving on from something in Ireland or the maleness in Ireland that didn't go very well for her. So if I can summarise a few of the key words you've used, this book is peppered with insights about class, about race, about gender and sexuality and a woman's right to choose. This book is a Conservative government's worst romantic nightmare. Oh, really? I mean, a lot of people on the Conservative side of thinking won't like the novel and, you know, that is explored in the novel itself by, you know, which family members would get introduced to which (laughs) lovers and not so much. You said race then. There is an exploration of race here, but I would suggest the more appropriate word there would be colonialism or the British Empire. That is really the lens that Dolan yeah, puts that's on this. Very fair. So everyone, this is the first and likely only time I am recommending a rom-com. The book Exciting Times is just that. It is an exciting read and I do recommend. It is recommendations time. And because you and I love this particular genre, we're going to get two each. I love it. I'm very proud of us. I'm going to start. I want to recommend Dreams from My Father by none other than former American President Barack Obama. The reason I recommend this is not because I'm a political obsessive. In fact, if you are someone who is looking to read Obama's work for the politics, you should go read one of his other books because this book is about his childhood and his youth and the years before he became a political player. And it begins with Barack, age 21, and he gets a call from Jane, his aunt, in Nairobi, informing him that his father has died. Obama barely knew his father who had met his mother Anne when he was studying in Hawaii but so begins an exploration of race and love and the relationship between children and their grandparents because Obama's grandparents who he calls toots and gramps are very much involved in his upbringing they're very progressive inclusive generous adventurous people So Obama, despite having been abandoned by his father as a child, grows up very loved and surrounded by love. But as he gets older, there are questions that start to come, not just about his father himself, but about race and about where he comes from and his identity. And the explorations are quite beautiful. You come to realise that this man who delivered all these great soaring speeches, unlike most politicians of our time, had quite a hand in them himself and has a beautiful way with language and it is quite a stunning read and I think better than anything else I have read by Obama since. Ah, Jam, that is a great, great recommendation. Obama pretty much never fails when he's uh, writing. Over to you for your first recommendation. Well, I'm going really lowbrow after that one. Apologies, everyone, but this is literally the book that I thought about quite a bit before coming to you today. I want to recommend a book that really 
influenced me when I was a very young teenager, and that is the 1976 novel by Anne Rice, Interview with the Vampire. (laughs) I've heard of this one. Jam is laughing at me. I know that you think that this is an odd choice, Jam, but let me tell you why. Firstly, I read it at a very, very delicate age. I read it when I was really wanting to learn about the world. I was 12 and I know I was 12 when I read this because I was well obsessed with this series before the 1994 movie with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt came out. I was already in. I was already like, you know, up to book three or whatever had been published by then. Now, I thought this was a good choice because coming of age means experiencing something, you know, that makes you grow up, that makes you go through a change. And all of vampire literature, and I am very serious here, all of vampire literature literally makes you go through a a change. You you know, you become a vampire. And in (laughs) Anne You do indeed go through a change. Okay, you are actually laughing at me and I... Sorry, I've lost my... my sense of sensibleness. I have a friend who wrote her thesis on vampire law, so I am very, very happy to continue here and you're just going to have to take Barack Obama and listen for 60 seconds. Obviously, you go through a change when you become a vampire, but in Anne Rice's world, it's called being born into darkness and, you know, the whole moral ethical thing of how do you have this new existence and it explores the other, right? And explores change and it explores getting different kind of responsibilities and access to different types of I don't know, views on the world. And anyway, this book paved the way for terrible things like Twilight and The Vampire Diaries and True Blood and none of those kind of mega movie book franchises could have existed without this book. And I think that Anne Rice can be odd, but I also think that some of her early books, you know, written 40 years ago, are really beautiful. And I'm sticking with Interview with the Vampire as an excellent coming-of-age vampire novel. And can I just say, there's a little part of me that still wants Lestat de Lioncourt to come through my window and make me a vampire and so I can live happily ever after. <laughs> I think I have enjoyed that recommendation more than anything you have ever recommended on Four Seasons of Anonymous Was a Woman. But we are getting two each this week, so I'm going to quickly give you one more. I am recommending 45 and 47 Stella Street and Everything That Happened by Elizabeth Honey. This is a book for I think we'd call them middle graders. It's sort of aimed at that 9, 10, 11 age group. I remember reading it for the first time when I was nine years old and I completely fell in love with it. From the lens of 2021, I look back and I start to see things that are wrong with it as we do with everything that we loved from a long time ago. I get frustrated at the lack of racial diversity. I get frustrated at the way it portrays class but I am reading it again in preparation to read it with my little boy and I still love it. I still love it as a gorgeous story about neighbours and friendship and friendship that crosses age barriers, kids being friends with their next-door neighbour who's in their 40s and their next-door neighbour who's in their 70s. It is a gorgeous story of an ordinary Melbourne neighbourhood and a gang of kids who, after the bad guys move in next door and take over the house next door with their really fancy car and all their expensive white things, including white carpet, on which our protagonist, Henny, points out you could never eat things like spaghetti bolognese or use tomato sauce ever again if you put in your house. It is divine and it reminds me of my own childhood. It reminds me of the kids in my street now without whom my son, who's an only child, would never have gotten through covid without. So 
highly recommend if you've got kids in upper primary school and it's not quite that older coming of age, falling in love as we typically think about it, but it's coming of age when it comes to independence because you've got kids who are sort of year six age and not only are they solving mysteries and crimes, they are also learning to babysit for the first time and walk to school on their own and being trusted to spend a little bit more pocket money. And it's a different moment in time when it comes to coming of age and it remains one of my absolute favourites. Jem, anything that you are rereading so you can read with Raffi, that is a high recommendation. I am also going to recommend something for middle grade readers, although I think that any teenager will probably find great happiness in the series from Jessica Townsend, The Chronicles of Morrigan Crow. Now, you and I both know that we are going to interview Jessica Townsend in a later interview on Anonymous Was a Woman, but I want to recommend her work here because the protagonist, the lead protagonist, Morgan Crowe, she is 11 when we start and she, like in Harry Potter, she gets one year older every year. And this is her coming of age, her coming of age in a fantasy world. She meets new people. She gets new powers. She has a new friendship group. She faces new challenges, some of which are very dark and hard. And this is a world that is currently being written now. It is magical. It is scary. And most importantly, it is really believably diverse. And Jessica Townsend welcomes all comers, shall we say. And I think that all young readers will be able to find something of themselves in this novel. Plus, it will really, really increase their vocab. It is beautifully written. I have delighted in the first two of Jessica Townsend's Nevermore series and cannot wait to get my hands on the third and to interview her later in this series. Astrid, it has been a delight. Folks, that's all we've got time for, but I feel we have filled you up with some book reviews and recommendations today. So go forth and get reading. It's been a bizarre day when Astrid loves a romance and I am criticising any novel. So put that down in your notebooks and mark the date as historic. If you would like to hear that interview with Jessica Townsend or indeed any of our interviews with authors or discussions of books, the best way to keep up to date is to subscribe and you can do that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. I know it's annoying and kind of fiddly and frustrating, but it does help other people find the podcast and that is how we get more wonderful readers in the world. An enormous thank you to Hachette Publishing for making this episode of Anonymous Was a Woman possible and to Bad Producer Productions and Future Women for making it at all. Catch you next week.